Hello, hello and welcome on The Barricade. So this is a podcast produced by Eastern European journalists and academics. And I am your host, Maria Cernat, an academic based in Bucharest, Romania. And with me, we have Pat Byrne, labor activist, Marxist, and a frequent guest to our show. Thank you for being here with us. Thanks, Maria. So we are discussing a very important uh, topic, issue, problem, concept, uh, and uh, weapon, why not, human rights. We discussed uh, a little bit uh, on the history of human rights and how we can... um, We can define human rights and unfortunately how human rights became from an ideal and something to fight for and something to devote your life to to achieving, they became some sort of weapon in the geopolitical arena, they became a tool to smear the governments of countries that you don't like if you are a great power, superpower like the United States or Great Britain. And uh, how unfortunately um, the very short window that was opened while when the civil rights movement started in the United States closed into what I would uh, call the privatization of human rights, where you had movements of people genuinely supporting human rights and genuinely fighting for human rights, equality, uh, anti-racism, anti-sexism. And then you had them privatized. You don't have genuine movement of people coming together, but you have... NGOs writing application after application to get money in order to fight the causes uh, they believe in. And I think this process of privatization of human rights was also privatization of a lot of leftist activists because they have to fight for the causes they believe in into a very capitalist neoliberal uh, system where they they don't just uh, support this, they have to fight for, for instance, for gender equality. In this framework that was designed by a capitalist system where you have to compete with other NGOs to get money to fight for the causes you believe in. And I think this is the root of the problem and this is the root for uh, the problem that the left has with human rights because the left became some sort of uh, agent in this whole uh, structure that I'm talking about. They are, they want to fight for the causes they believe in, but the methods are being designed by the capitalists, not by themselves, right? They do not go to workers, for instance, ask for money, raise some money, do some uh, campaign, and then try to do something for those workers. No, what they do is go to the financial elites. And they go to the ones with big money and start writing applications, right? Well, I mean, <clears throat> on that, originally, of course, uh, 
um, we didn't have a civil society as we know it today. You know that we had most uh, campaigning was done by political parties, trade unions, and organisations like that, which the, the the Western powers did try to influence and infiltrate, but it was much more difficult. But once you once in the late sixties we started to see the birth of all these civil society organisations that were doing the campaigning. Um, like we mentioned, some of them like Amnesty International and Greenpeace and all these other ones. Um, then it, it, it became a plethora of these organizations. Reform. It became very easy for the, the new strategy of the uh, Western, uh, Western governments to influence some of these organizations and in many cases to um, fund a whole raft of new organizations. And so that's what's happened. Um, the and as you say, um, that I mean, I would argue it's my view that anybody who accepts money from the American uh, government and its agencies, and from the or, or European governments and their agencies, and uh, big billion, you know, uh, big billion, you know, billionaires, anybody who accepts that money for things to do with. Um, civil rights, human rights, uh, democracy, anti-corruption, so on. It, it, it's a contradiction in terms. that They are being corrupted, and they shouldn't be doing that. And in, in my view, actually, <clears throat> all these, these funding methods that the Western governments are doing are undermining and intervening in the affairs of countries and undermining their sovereignty and should be investigated, should be closed down. That's my view, because <clears throat> nobody... Nobody should be allowing foreign governments to, and it's outlawed in the United Nations. As I said, it's actually in their charter. They say you're not allowed to do these things, but they're doing it all the time. Where they're, they're funding organizations, they're interfering, trying to influence the, um, the activities of, of governments and, and uh, the population, the thinking of the population in different countries. And they have no right to do that. You know, uh, each country has, has their own sovereignty and their own right to develop these ideas. And, and that's, that's what you raised earlier on, about you can't impose human rights and democracy from outside. It's not possible. It doesn't work like that. It has to come from the grassroots of that country. And, and that's, a, that's a fundamental uh, right of those people to, to develop their own society uh, independently. Now, of course... What's been used is that they try to tug on the heartstrings of people. So they say, look, there's this terrible thing happening in another country. You know, uh, and usually they're very extreme examples they, they, they pick on as the examples, which, which are not actually that frequent. But they occasionally like, what happened in Rwanda? <clears throat> what happened in, um, in, in Sudan and so on? The Darfur people. And, <clears throat> and, and then... And actually, when you go into the history of things, you'll usually find that the Western powers, somewhere in the background, are, are responsible for the whole thing that built up to these things. Anyway, and if they and if they didn't, if they gave genuine aid without any strings attached, um, and they and it wasn't designed to help the business of their of, of their country, their exports, uh, their corporate, their big business, and so on, but it was genuinely genuine aid to develop those countries and develop those infrastructure. They wouldn't be in that mess in the first place. But but anyway, they use these these rare extreme examples to say, well, we, we can't just allow these things to happen and we have to intervene. But then they intervene all over the world. And <clears throat> I mean, you mentioned you mentioned about in the last segment, the first segment we did talking about the subject, about how um, they're complaining that, that people don't have the right to vote. 
But in many cases, they do have the right to vote. It's just that they're voting for governments that the, gov the Western powers don't want. So, for example, take, take Venezuela as a classic example. Um, <clears throat> Venezuela has got one of the most democratic election systems in the world. Um, and and who, 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 uh, who backed that up? Uh, Ex-President Jimmy Carter. He, he, he'd been there quite a few times, as have lots of other things. And they have a joint, have a joint, <clears throat> a, a, a joint uh, system of paper ballots and electronic voting. And it's been judged as the most free and fair, you know, and most reliable election system in the world. But it produces results that the West doesn't like. And so as a result, they, they, um, they say, ah, oh, you know, it's a, it's a dictatorship or it's a dictatorship in the making or they come out with all these kind of phrases. And then they introduce all these sanctions. And then, then they, they introduce the most terrible sanctions. They stop Venezuela selling its oil, which is its biggest natural resource. Um, they 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 uh, they captured the oil refineries that were owned by Venezuela in America, which is why they're in this mess now about their heavy duty oil. <clears throat> they they um, they stop uh, the the importation of food. They stop the export of any uh, other goods. And and any company or country that uh, defies this ban, they then sanction them too. So they they have these terrible sanctions, and then they've got the cheek. To complain, to say, hey, look, look at this government this, in, in Venezuela, how, how ineffective they are. Look at the mess they're making of the economy. But, but they're actually, a lot of the reasons why the Venezuelan economy isn't a mess is because of these sanctions. So it's, it's a complete farce. Now, <clears throat> the last thing I wanted to say kind of connected with this is that the, I, wanted to, I wanted to pose this question, which is why is it that so many of the left and liberal people in the West are going along with this rubbish and, and being fooled by all this propaganda about, you know, the lack of human rights here or there or everywhere else. And now, the, the, the reality is, as I, as I showed in my you know, graphics uh, in the first segment, is that most of the, the, the left and most of the liberals are, are, have, you know, we talked about those basic human rights of, of uh, security, food, clothing, uh, housing, transportation, yes. education, and all those things—they have them traditionally, so they don't—they don't see them as important because they don't—they living with them and they take them for granted. So therefore, they only interested in these more higher level, um, in a way, luxurious uh, human rights, which is the right to vote and the right to, uh, you know, protest and so on. They're very important, but they—they they, none of those things work unless you have the basic. And means of living you know if you don't if you don't have food to feed yourself and your family then all the rest of these human rights become meaningless if you don't have a house to live in and so on and so on um if you don't have work you know and you've got no income coming in <clears throat> so and because they're used most of the mainly middle class people who are supporting these uh these um human rights organizations and uh, civil rights organizations in the west they forget about that. They don't think about that because they have it. Now, having said that, the reality is now that creeping into the Western advanced world is that now these basic human rights that, that, that are absolutely essential for human living are now starting to be taken away. So we're starting to see poverty growing on a, on a big scale, you know, and the inequality growing on a huge scale in the Western countries. So even in their own countries, they're not and, and these liberals and, and left-wing people are not campaigning enough about the issues that are affecting the ordinary working people. 
<clears throat> I mean, uh, you know this guy, uh, Chris Hedges, in America? Yes, yes, yes. Who, he, was recently, he was recently uh, banned. I mean, his YouTube channel mm. was recently banned. And uh, just on a side note, I, I just want to point out that mm. I think this is a sign of weakness and fear. Yeah, this is my impression. Yeah, so yeah, please yeah. go on. Yes, of course. Yeah, I sure. know Chris Hedges, so, very important journalist. Yeah, and, and he, you know, Chris Hedges has gone, has, has had a, been on a political journey. So he's now actually declared himself to be a socialist, and he's obviously a very principled guy. You know, who uh, was in the top echelon of journalism, but has been pushed out because he's he come to realize. Uh, <clears throat> through his own experience in the Middle East on behalf of New York Times and elsewhere, other things, that uh, about how these things are actually operating <clears throat> and, and the hypocrisy and double standards of it all and uh, fakery. Well, anyway, he, he, um, he did a survey, him and another chap. They went around America and they just deliberately went to visit all the most deprived areas of America and they were completely shocked by what they found. And they found places in America where the... The life expectancy is 48, which is less, which is, you have to go to Haiti to get this kind of level of uh, destitution. Um, and uh, and so they, they, you know, so increasingly we've got all these tent cities. You know, you know how people used to, talk, I live in Brazil, right? So we have these, what we call favelas, which are mm -hmm, favelas, mm -hmm. which are uh, like shanty towns on the hills around a lot of the cities. Um and in, in, other, in other countries, like in Venezuela, they're called barrios and so on. They're kind of very poor neighborhoods where they've kind of been set up with uh, very poor materials and, um, and many times not legal, but anyway. Um, and I, I have to say, these favelas and barrios and so on are better than these shanty towns that are now forming around the American cities, which are these temporary tent structures and whatever with no, with no services at all. And, and sub, being subject to city raids by the in Chicago and New York and everywhere else, you know. Um, <clears throat> so we're actually seeing, and we're seeing um, child poverty massively growing in Europe. And, and so, and then, of course, it's going to get even worse now after this mad sanctions uh, system that they've introduced against Russia. So, you know, this is so that, so ironically, all the, the, the liberals and the, and the left people who support this human rights agenda I'm not even following what's going on in their own countries, I don't think. Yes, yes. But, but in Romania, according to, to data, 38% of children live in poverty and below poverty line. I mean, this is... you. When you have a right. statistic like this, it shows you how detached from reality our leftists, unfortunately, are. Because they complain about linguistic, you know, subtleties all the time that you're not using a certain word. Okay, but how about you tackling the problem of this, of children, almost uh, half of Romania's children, I mean, 38% is huge, is huge. And think about it, Pat, these children do not have enough food. And if you don't have enough nutritional uh, elements in your diet when you're a child, then you don't develop physically, mentally. Uh, you're, you're, you're basically denied the right to a decent life 
uh, from the very beginning. And these are things that you cannot make up for it later because if you haven't had a nutritional diet, diet when you were a child, then your problems w- could be, never, almost never be solved because those deficiencies are there for you to are there forever you know and this is this is a huge tragedy and i want to say two things here you know it is interesting that especially in romanian feminism we had a very prominent and a very important feminist uh, sofiana dejde who wrote, wrote uh, at the end of uh, 19th century and she wrote something very interesting if rich men don't do very much for poor men. Why do you expect rich women to do more for poor women? Because, you know, just by emphasizing and by by putting women in positions of power should guarantee nothing. And the second thing is very interesting that she said that she doesn't advocate for the right to vote because back then you had to have a financial, you know, uh, prosperity in order to be able to vote. Yeah. You had to have a, lo- a lot of money in order to be able to vote. And this is why she said, I am not campaigning for the right of some privileged women to vote, but I am uh, fighting for the right to decent work for all women and for the right to work, because unfortunately women back then were denied the right to work. And I think this is still the case today. Leftists are advocating for very liberal, very elitist, uh, very elitist definition of human rights while forgetting the basics. And in a country like Romania, is is especially ludicrous. It's ludicrous on its face because usually leftists are just some intellectuals in urban areas that are connected to NGOs, most of them, and who work in this competitive framework where your identity and your oppressed identity can be monetized in order to get money, right? So your very identity uh, gets to be weaponized, monetized, and used as a tool in this competitive environment that was designed by the capitalist system. And this is some sort of uh, the privatization also of the left, you see, (laughs) because the left is functioning uh, as an agent that actually reinforces the capitalist system because they play by the rules established by the system, actually. And this is the first thing. Now, the second thing that comes to my mind, and it scares me, and I want you to comment on it. The problem with, with this type of uh, the privatization of human rights and their use as a tool in the geopolitical arena and in um, all sorts of fights between governments is going to lead us to the situation where a government comes up with this solution. We don't allow for NGOs advocating for human rights because they are financed from uh, they are financed by other governments in order to take us down. So we don't allow even the discussion on human rights. And this scares me because if the balance of power changes in the world and you have these governments like the Russian one, the Chinese one, the Indian one, becoming more and more important in the international arena, 
I think they have some sort of allergy when they hear about feminism, human rights. Uh-oh, this is not right. We have to push back. And this is so unfortunate because this privatization of human rights basically did so much... Um, Someone the human Damage. rights. Damage, yeah. Yes, did so much damage to the idea of human rights itself. Right. If you use feminism against the Taliban to tell them that they are stupid and they are they don't give enough rights to their citizens and so on and so forth. Yeah. Next time yeah. they will hear a genuine feminist <laughs> advocating for this, they would go like, oh no, no, no. <laughs> and they will shut down the conversation altogether. And as I told you, well, this is happening in that part of the world far away where we don't care. That's fine. But these powers are growing. I mean, India, China, uh, Turkey, right, Russia. And what do you do then when you have a world that is dominated powers that uh, connect human rights to, uh, you know, this type of regime change? Yeah, well... <clears throat> um... Uh, that you're raising a very obviously important uh, issue that will become more and more important in the future. And you're dead right. that It's, it's basically, <clears throat> they, they're discrediting. The, the sad result of all this uh, manipulation of, of the human rights agenda is discrediting what is a, what is a genuinely important issue. Uh, um, an example, if I can give an example. <clears throat> you know, um, I... Um, uh, I know uh, Jeremy Corbyn, uh, and uh, you know I, I'm a Labour. I'm I'm in Labour International, and um, you know uh, un, under Jeremy, when Jeremy Corbyn was leader of the Labour Party, you know he came under this terrible, unfair onslaught about anti-Semitism. Yes, I remember. You know? Yes, <laughs> and um, you know, and the left and the Labour movement had been the champions um, of fighting anti-Semitism. For since the 1930s, um, and to have this weaponized and turned against the left for their own short-term interests <clears throat> was tragic. And the and the end result is is that they are they are discrediting the anti-Semitic, you know, the campaign against anti-Semitism um, by by attacking the people who do campaign against racism and against anti-Semitism. Um, and so you end up where the danger is that you, by this kind of mi manipulation and, and misuse of, a, of an issue, you, you end up that you, you risk throwing the baby out with the bathwater. And so that, as you say, um, in countries like uh, Russia, China, um, India is a totally different situation. So I wouldn't lump them in together. Um, <clears throat> but in, the, in these governments where they have... Um, used uh they tried to use these things and or and it could be in some some countries like i don't know um there's countries like thailand somewhere increasingly governments are coming up with um rules about these ngos which are designed to kick out or close down all the ngos that are funded from abroad and i think they're correct to do that but it, what would be wrong would be for that to then be translated into stopping genuine grassroots mm -hmm. uh organizations in those countries campaigning on those issues and that but that but think about that that is a that's a struggle that those people have got to have isn't it that's a 
that's a natural struggle that they've got to have. And it's part of their struggle for human rights in their country and political rights and everything else, which is a genuine grassroots thing. And they're going to have to go through that process. <clears throat> now, I think what will happen is that uh, I think there's a rising consciousness of the manipulation of the human rights agenda and the pro-democracy, anti-corruption agenda. And, and I suspect that in the next few years, all those organizations are going to be shut down across the world. I think that one government after another is going to stop them because they know their regime, their regime change operations and funded by the Americans and, and the Europeans. So I think, <clears throat> I think that we're, we're in that situation now. I think we'll come out of it as there's a rising consciousness about the role of these organizations. And probably after that, hopefully, um, genuine uh, grassroots organizations in, 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 that are funded within by people. I mean, take the question of funding. <clears throat> you know, if you can't raise money from the people you're supposed to be campaigning for in your own country, then you're not doing the job. You're not doing a good job. You're not. You're not. You're not being effective. You're doing something wrong. Either you're you're not organizing properly. You're you're not attracting people. You're not espousing the issues that they're most concerned with. You're not going about campaigning in the right way. Something's wrong there. So you have to, you have, if you're not raising enough money, you've got to question yourself and find out what you're doing wrong. But ultimately, if you're going to be effective, especially with the modern technology we have now, which is not that expensive, <clears throat> you should be able to run a big national campaign for a particular issue and make it effective. Um, and then I think what will happen is that those kind of campaigns, um, they won't be able to be accused of getting money from abroad. Uh, and that whole issue will subside because people, you know, each of these societies, they will have got rid of all those uh, foreign funded organizations. I'm not I'm not talking about, by the way, I want to be stressed that I'm not talking about, you know, campaigns for blind people or genuine campaigns that could get funding internationally. That's OK. But I'm talking about ones that are to do with to do with the, the governing policies of a country, you know, that, that, that shouldn't be shouldn't be funded from outside. <clears throat> One other point I'd like to make is I, I think we should be careful when we not to be uh, overgeneralizing about groups. So, for example, I don't decline, I'm not describing the left, all the left as this. There's, there's major sections of the left who don't agree with this approach, who don't go along with this, right? <clears throat> it's just that, and unfortunately, in Eastern Europe, I, I get the impression there's not many, not many of those in Eastern Europe, sadly. But that could change, you know? I think there's a rising, there's a rising consciousness. I mean, even the program you're, you're doing today, uh, is evidence of that, that there's a rising consciousness of people about the problems of this use of the human rights agenda and pro-democracy, etc. So I think we, we will get there. We, we, you know, this is quite a new... It's only in the last two or th two years or so that I've started to hear this voices about this rising, and, and I think they will become uh, uh, dominant in the future because we've got a fantastic argument on our side, you know, which is that, um, <clears throat> you know, that, that you should fight for... If you've got human rights problems at home, that's what you should be fighting for. Not human rights problems in another country. It's not as if it's not as if any country in the world has got a perfect system and it's not free from all these abuses and discrimination, is it? So, and we certainly see that in so many of the Western countries that are campaigning for these things. Look at the look at the abuse of human rights that's going on in their country and the growing trend to for censorship. And um, in Britain, for example, they they bring, they're pushing through a law now. To make it so that demonstrations can be stopped. Now, the right to freedom of assembly has been dramatically challenged, and many other human rights are, are being affected. Um, the left should be the left and liberals should be campaigning on those issues in Britain, 
or in France. I mean, look at what they did to the Yellow Jackets. We saw what the police and how violent they were and repressive. And we could go through every country and come up with examples. I mean, America is perhaps one of the worst, but even countries like Canada, we see all the abuses that are going on in Canada. Um, well, you know, the, the left and the liberals should be campaigning on those issues, human rights, in their own country and not trying to uh, interfere in other countries <laughs> who, who have got to genuinely, in a natural way, develop their own human rights movements, you know? Yes, well, I couldn't agree more. And uh, I think it's very important to to change the way we finance these NGOs. It's very important to, to, to change because mm. if in politics, for instance, you have a certain limit on how much money you can give to a political party, maybe there is a limit here because if you have somebody from outside your country, I cannot even say the names of the billionaires and I'm telling you why. We have people here who are anti-feminist, who are um nationalist xenophobic that use those very names you know to smear any initiative that would fight for human rights as related to those billionaires so there are a lot of conspiracy theories and a lot of you know hot air uh, around those billionaires but let's say an honest billionaire wants to give uh, 10 million euros to an NGO, you have to ask yourself, I mean, for what, you know? And uh, is he going to influence the activity of that NGO? If that NGO functions in a very poor country, he can influence, as you said, the political process mm -hmm. and all the rest. And uh, there has to be a, a different way and a very transparent way of financing the NGOs. And to devise ways of raising money from exactly from the people and for the people that you are fighting mm -hmm. and not to have this elitist perspective where you take money from enlightened governments and foreign governments, enlightened, you know, superior in terms of uh, human rights. And then uh, you take that uh, enlightenment and you, you bring it to your country and so on. I think this is flawed because, as you said, it can be used as a Trojan horse and it's dangerous to have this type of financing. And uh, coming to uh, our show, I uh, thank you so much for making these points. We came to the end of the second segment. And this is why we urge you, dear viewers, support us, because I think also for the press, this is the best way to support a media organization, to have the public financially supported. And to the extent that you can, please go to our Patreon page, patreon.com slash thebarricade and make a monthly subscription. So thanks so much for being here with us, Pat. It was a very interesting conversation and I'm sure the viewers will appreciate it. And um, we'll see each other discussing again uh, about human rights and other important topics. All the best. Yeah, all the best.